0: All right, so John chapter 9 is where we are today. John chapter 9. Just a second. Um, in John chapter 9, we actually have been here a couple of weeks, so we're going to catch up on the story in just a minute. But as we kind of begin today, um, I, I'm going to do what I don't normally do, which is the little thing that I wrote in the, the Salt and Light and in the Hope Notes about hiking is, is what just always comes to my mind when I look at this passage. Um, back in in uh, our high school days and college days, my brother and i and, and some others would go backpacking in the mountains and there's this one incident that that jumps out at me about this it 's because we were on this trail we we had marched i don 't know you going up and down hills't they're, they're not mountains they're you know three thousand foot mountains that we have out here or whatever, but we had marched up and down them I and they're a lot bigger when you 've got sixty pounds on your back right you know so you 're carrying everything you need for the week and we had gone on this hike that that was about I don't know, 50 miles, 55 miles, something like that, over the course of four days, five days or whatever, camping out and all this stuff. And there's a certain level of exhaustion that comes when you have been doing that for four or five days. There's a certain level of just like, I don't know if I can pick my feet up anymore. I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just numb and I'm just walking. Um, and we had taken a little break Really, right before this trail was like a loop, but there were these two like legs that came out of the loop where you could kind of march out to the trail, and then when you got to the end, you had to turn and march back to, or you just keep marching on this trail forever, which is not desirable, trust me. And so, we had taken a break and we'd said to everybody, Yeah, the turn is coming up. Okay, yeah, 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 we got it. And so, we all like. In different little groups, we all got to the turn and made the turn. And the turn was marked. Normally, you have one dot or you have two dots. And, and one dot is keep going straight, and two dots is there's a turn here somewhere. Three dots was this is the end of the trail. Make the turn or you're going to start the trail over again. Um, and you, the problem with it is you actually have to be looking at the markings in order to know this. So we, we marched out in and, and the first couple groups, and we got to the end, and we were sitting at the cars, and like, man, that was a good hike, and can't wait to get to McDonald's, and uh, I want a cheeseburger, and, and all that kind of stuff. And waiting, and waiting, and waiting, and, and, and Brian probably knows who it was, I don't remember who it was, but waiting for these people to arrive, and they didn't arrive. And after about a half hour, it dawned on us that this should not have taken this long, they missed the turn. And so quickly, the, a couple of us who were panicked left our gear where it was and ran back up the trail and made the turn and started trying. Like, we're trying to go get these people from wherever they are. And, and somehow we got back together and made it. But it was a simple mistake. And it's a mistake that I think we make in life all the time. The trail is marked for us. There is leading for us in our lives. But we're just not paying attention we're looking down when we need to be looking up. We need to be looking for what's going to tell us where to go, but we are weary and we are burdened. And if you've ever carried a, a, you know, a pack on your, your back for a long period of time, you know that it, even though it would feel like this is the normal position, this is not the normal position. This is the normal position. You're heavy. And it hurts to have that pack on you and you're walking and your legs are weary and you just your feet hurt. Every muscle in your body hurts. And so this is what happens and this is what happens in life. We, we take on stresses and, and circumstances and responsibilities and pains and wounds and, 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 and it hurts. And so we wind up doing this and we're walking along and we think we're going the way we want to go. But we're not. We're lost. We're on a journey that should be ending and we're just starting it over again. How do we get off track in life? How do we lose the trail spiritually? Disregarding what has been provided for us as leading in our life. Not paying attention to the guides. We get careless because we get overconfident or because we get numbed out. The the monotony of life numbs us out. Well, I know what I'm doing because I always do this and it's always the same. Or, I know what I'm doing because I, this feels right and this should be right and I know I have an ability to stay on track in and of myself. We stubbornly believe that we're right in spite of all the evidence, the spiritual evidence in our lives that we're off track. When was the last time you took inventory of your life and said, am I on track or off track spiritually? Has it been a while? Why don't we do that? Like, If we're believers, if we're followers of Christ, and we know that spiritually who we are defines our life more than anything else, doesn't it make sense that spiritually we should be very in tune with where we are? Physically, you're pretty in tune with where you are, aren't you? Do you know that like, if you broke your ankle, would you know that? Would you be aware of that? Would you be aware if you missed the meal? If I said, Anybody who's spiritual is just going to stay here for the rest of the day and not have anything else to eat. Would you know that? Would you recognize when when mealtime came around? We're pretty in tune with our bodies, right? How in tune are you with your soul? Do you recognize that the condition of your soul may be not where it's supposed to be that you've gotten off track? Jesus calls this, in the passage we're looking at today, spiritual blindness, especially as it relates to putting our faith in Him. What I want you to know today is that you can be a good person, you can be a nice person, you can be sincere, but you can be spiritually blind. You can be off track and not even know you're off track because you're paying attention to things that would tell you this is a trail when it's not a trail, not the trail you want to be on. You can even be a person of faith. You can be someone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ for heaven but still live spiritually blind. I think it is a big mistake for us to think that when Jesus talks about being blind or seeing, that it's a once and done thing. Either I'm someone who can see or I'm someone who is blind. I think this. I think that God gives us the ability to see as as believers the truth, but then we have to choose to use it in our lives. It wasn't for a lack of sight that that group got off the trail. It's because they didn't use their sight. They weren't looking in the right place. So today, if you're stuck and you're struggling, if you're empty, if you're numb, if you're hurting, if you're overwhelmed with life, could it be that God has been trying to lead you somewhere, but you've been missing it? And God is using that that pressure, that sense of I'm not okay, to open your eyes, to get you to look up instead of down. The story that we're going to look at today, we've already been in a few times. We're going to talk about this idea of sight and blindness. It is the word picture that Jesus uses to describe the Pharisees here and those who choose to be his disciples, blind as the Pharisees or seeing like his disciples. It is connected to this story of this man that Jesus healed who was born blind. And if you remember, it's more than a month ago, but if you remember, the story began with the disciples coming to Jesus saying, Who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer was, nobody sinned. This is not a result of sin. This is so that God will be glorified. And so Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day, it turns out. A day of rest for Israel. And the religious leaders did not react well. (laughs) They reacted very poorly to it. And so they, they didn't want Jesus to be seen as the Messiah, so they... It opened up an investigation, almost an inquisition. And we're going to pick it up here at the end of this story. This story about a man who couldn't physically see, but who was given the ability to see. And then how Jesus translates it into this idea about whether or not we can choose to see spiritually. Whether we have a willing heart to see what God is doing. We were reading Proverbs 8 this week, and Proverbs 8 is a personification of wisdom. Wisdom speaks as though it's a person. It's, so, it's this idea of giving human characteristics to wisdom. And some of what it says in Proverbs 8, which I think is right on point for this today, is this. It begins by saying, Wisdom is given to all men. I stand at the city gate and I cry out to everybody who comes by. Wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. In other words, wisdom, direction, Understanding is not in short supply. It's just not received very often. It's not sought very much. And why? Because we think we already know. It is not hard to know wisdom or direction. It's available to all of us, but it's hard to choose wisdom. It's hard to follow it because what it says, and it says this later on in that chapter, wisdom hates pride and arrogance. Why does wisdom hate pride and arrogance? Because self-willed confidence says, I already know what I need. I already know the answer. I don't need to hear it from anybody. I can rest in my own ability. It is an unwillingness to bend my desires or my opinions to the truth. I'm going to try to take the truth and bend it to what I want. And so let's jump back into the story. We're picking it up towards the end. So verse 26, we'll start at verse 26 down to verse 29. Here's what it says. Then they asked him, and this is the Pharisees asking the man who was born blind, who had gotten healed. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. All right, so like I said, the the man got healed on the Sabbath day. The Pharisees decided this was a bad thing, not a good thing. And so they began this investigation. And if you remember, they had gone to the man and they had said to him, how did he heal you? And the man had said, well, he put mud on my eyes. He made mud and put it on my eyes. And then he said, go wash. And I washed and then, then I could see. So he told them the whole process. And here they come again and ask him, how did he make you see? Now the investigation we found out was an investigation where the Pharisees wanted to throw people out of the temple. They did what religious people like to do, right? Throw people out of church. After failing to dig up any dirt with the man or with his parents, and after failing to intimidate the blind man, it ended at the last time they said, We know that God healed you, give glory to God, and we know that this man is a sinner. Agree with us, or we're going to throw you out. And he didn't agree with them. He says, I don't know about all that, but this one thing I know. I was blind, and now I see. That's kind of where that ended. And so this question comes on the the heels of that frustration for them. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They had previously argued that this probably wasn't the man who was blind, This is just another guy. He's pretending that he was blind. and That's what happened. This is all smoke and mirrors. This is all switcheroo. Now what they say is, how did he open your eyes? Okay, we'll give you that, that argument up. But now we want to go to this argument. What did he do? Can we find something in what he did that puts him on the bad list? Something improper in the how Jesus healed you so they can throw away the huge implications of the miracle. They look past the big point of Jesus healed this guy by focusing on the little point. Don't we do that all the time? One of the ways we get off track, one of the ways we miss, is that we get so focused on the little stuff that doesn't matter that we miss the big stuff that does. Have you ever done that? About life and Christ and people, you know? I I hear this a lot. You know, people come out of church situations where they got hurt. A pastor betrayed them, or church scenario was painful. And I get it, man. I've been through some of those those wounding times in my life for sure. I get it. But their answer is this. Well, then I'm not going back to church. Who needs church? I can meet with God anywhere, right? What you just did is you focused on the little thing, which didn't feel little to you. I understand that. But it was the little point, which is that people are in church and people do dumb stuff. But you miss the big point, which is your heavenly father has given you this as a means for your health and your you know, growth spiritually. You miss that because you focused on the little thing. And so you made it an unhealthy choice. You chose a wrong path by focusing on the minutiae instead of the big thing, just like the Pharisees did. Or you can do that with a person. You know? Somebody does something to, to wrong you or hurt you, and all you think about is that. You, they become a caricature of their evil deed as opposed to being a real person with good points and bad points, right? They just become that one thing. And so you focus in on that. We do it all the time. Or you do it the other way. You only focus on the positives because you want this thing in your life. And so all you look at is the positives and you just wipe away all the negatives. We, we try to bend truth to what we want it to be. And that's what they did. In each instance, we focus on the minor and miss the major. And so they come to him and say, how did he heal you? Tell us how he healed you. And so this is the man's answer. He says, listen, I already told you. You didn't listen to me. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then the blind man responds very simply to them, very logically to them. He goes, listen, the only reason that makes any sense for you to ask me again, because this guy healed me and I couldn't see and now I can see, the only reason that makes any sense is you must want to believe too. Because why else would you keep asking me? I mean, if someone could heal the blind and the sick, and someone could raise the dead, doesn't it make sense that you might be interested in following them? If you had just seen someone literally heal a person that you knew all their life had suffered with some condition, maybe they didn't have a limb or, or some disability or they had problems internally or whatever, you knew they had a disease... And someone walked up and healed them. They put mud on them or whatever they did. They healed them. Don't you think you might be interested in following that person? Wouldn't that make sense? Right? Isn't that logical? But the Pharisees just witnessed this, and they were not interested. They were only interested in condemning him. It is this willful rejection. And by the way, at this point in time, all these religious leaders were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a rescuer, someone to take Rome and throw, throw the whole Rome out of Israel and establish Israel as the kingdom of God. And one of the signs about this coming Messiah who was going to come and rescue them was that he would open the eyes of the blind. So if someone opened the eyes of the blind, don't you think that might have like been a cause for celebration? Hey, maybe he's here. Instead of a cause for rejection. The problem is, the Pharisees claimed to be looking. They claimed to be people who could see, but they were firmly convinced that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, and so they never received any facts that disagreed with them. And so I ask you today, do you call yourself a Christian? Are you someone who claims to have trusted Christ? Do you know what that means? You are a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith in Him, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you following Him in your life? Well, I don't know. If the answer to are you following Him is I don't know, you're in trouble. Because wisdom is not hard to get. It's just hard to accept. Leading isn't unavailable. It's just you have to be looking for it and you have to decide to follow it. Here's a whole book full of God's leading in your life. When was the last time you looked to this to find out what you should do? When was the last time you looked at this and said, Ooh, that's not what I'm doing. I better start doing that. That's wisdom. See? So if we're followers of Jesus Christ, if we claim to be, the Pharisees claim to be the people of God who knew God, but they rejected God's provision. If we're Christians, if we're followers of Jesus, do we follow him every day? In each thing. Their reaction, verse 28, they hurled insults at him, verbally abusive to this blind man who was healed. And the response is, We're sure of Moses. We don't know about this Jesus guy. Which isn't exactly honest because they know exactly about Jesus. They know what they think about him. And they even know where he's from. But what they're saying is, We don't know what his source of power is, we don't know how he does this stuff. I guess for us, the application of that is this. When you have in your life an opportunity to make a choice, am I going to trust the Lord with this or am I going to do something else? Trust the Lord or something else. What do you pick? Right? Isn't that, like, if it's a matter of stepping out in faith, do you step out in faith? What is it in your life that you're so sure of that it causes you to doubt Jesus? I'm so sure that my kids should be safe that if at any time they're not okay, I wonder what God thinks here. What's God doing here? Like, I doubt Him, not what I think, right? I mean, that's we get so convinced of ourselves. I know how this works. I'm comfortable with this thing. I know what Moses teaches. I've studied him all my life. I know that Moses, I'm confident of this. And so I don't care what Jesus says. I'm going to stick with what I know. My family does it this way. My friends all do this. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I know what's what. I'm less concerned with being right. I'm less concerned with knowing the truth. I'm mostly concerned about my confidence level. How does it feel? And so I prefer what feels sure to what's actually true. I prefer the tested and the experience, the thing that I've lived through, to the call for faith. I don't really want to just trust. I want to know. And yet, the Bible tells us that faith is the pathway to know, but to know in a different way. So the the blind man says to them, do you want to follow? They say, no, we're followers of Moses, not Jesus. All right, pick it up with me at verse 30, down to verse 34. Here's what he says. The man answers them, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. All right, so the man says to them, this is like going up against a bunch of PhDs, you know, construction worker, going up a bunch of PhDs. These guys had studied the Bible all their life, and they come to him and say, we follow Moses. But we don't know where this Jesus is from. And this man gives them a reply that is stunningly simple, but pierces right through them. What he says to them is essentially this, you should know where Jesus comes from. And he uses just some simple Doctrinal facts. The fact that he can heal the blind, this man says, the fact that he can give me back my sight means he comes from God. Why? He gives a very simple answer that because God hears Jesus, Jesus comes from God. That's what he says, essentially. Where does he get that from? Well, in the Old Testament, there's this whole book of songs that they sang. We sing songs for worship. They sang songs for worship. The book is called the book of... Psalms, all right? So even a, you know, an unlearned blind man could sing along with the songs and learn some doctrinal truth. These were inspired songs of God. Well, as you go through the Psalms, in one of them, several of them actually, but in one of them, like Psalm 66, it includes this phrase, If I have cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now, does that mean, if the man says, God doesn't hear the prayer of a sinner. Does that mean if you've done something wrong, God doesn't hear your prayer? That's not really what he's teaching there. And of course, God hears your prayer. God calls people to repentance. God cares about people and loves people. He hears their prayer, absolutely. But what he's saying here is, Jesus asked God to give me back my sight, and God listened to him. In the Psalms, what it's saying is, God would not have given me my sight through Jesus if Jesus were a sinful man. That's what he's saying. On the other hand, he says, you know, God listens to those who do his will. Uh, Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are attentive to their cry. Simple theology. This is, you know, God works through those who are willing to surrender to him, willing to submit to him. The righteous, those who are given to God, to to God's cause. God doesn't work for the selfish. God doesn't work for the obscene and the vile. God works for those who are serving Him and serving His kingdom. And so what the man says is, the fact that Jesus healed me is proof, even from our own songs, that Jesus is from God. That's essentially what he says. Isn't that amazing? He's not intimidated at all. Do you know why? Because he's sure. He's the guy who was blind and now he can see. Sometimes we get intimidated because we lose our grip on our story. Maybe it's been a long time since you let God do anything inside of you or through you. You got off track, you got off mission. You stopped serving the kingdom of God, and so you lost your sense of certainty, your sense of groundedness. So when someone comes to you and say, "Well, why should I give my life to God?" and you're kind of like, "I don't know. You should." But it's been a while since it was alive in you. You know what I mean? It wasn't a long time for him. It had just happened. And so he stands in front of these guys and says, listen, this is stunning that you don't know who Jesus is. You should know who he is because those songs that we sing over and over again, they tell us that God hears the righteous and doesn't listen to sinners. So the fact that God granted Jesus the ability to give me sight is proof that he is from God. He's not saying he's the son of God. He's not saying that he's the the savior of the world. What he's saying is he's from God. I know he's from God. I know he's doing God's work. It isn't hard to see, folks, if you're willing. If your life has been one series of, I don't know what to do here, I don't know what to do here, I would ask you to stop looking around and start looking up. Chances are there's direction for your life that you've been ignoring because you don't want to do that. There may be some reconciliation you need to make, some apologies, some confession you need to have with people. I don't want to do that. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. There may be some things that need to go, some, some sin that needs to get out of your life, and you're like, I don't know how to... Yes, you do. Get to it. Dig in and start working at it. There may be some things that need to start in your life that you've been like, someday, someday. Leading is not obscure. What I I believe with all my heart is this. This right here is evidence. And the fact that Jesus came to earth is evidence that God wants you to know his way. God wants you to know his way. It is not for a lack of God's desire that you don't know what to do. Every time we see it in the Word of God, it is for a lack of a willing and receptive heart. Biggest reason? We're full of pride. We already know. Nobody needs to tell us anything, right? I already know. Don't bother me with that. It was my favorite thing about youth pastoring was how much everybody already knew in the room before I even started talking. They all knew it. There was one time, it was so cool, it was so cool. What I did is... I, I opened up this discussion about music. I was like, "What's your favorite song? Just tell me your favorite song." And they were like, "Oh, Jesus loves me." I was like, "No, no, no! Like your real favorite song—the one you actually listen to." Like, I said, "I'm, I'm big. I could take it. Come on, hit me with it." And they started naming these songs, and I was like, "All right." So I started writing them on the whiteboard. Okay, what's the name of that song? Okay, what? Who, who does that song? Okay, let's write that down. What they didn't know is that I had spent the day before watching like the, the top 20 list of uh, videos on MTV and writing down all the words to these songs. So they were naming songs and they were playing right into my hands, you know, because they didn't know that I already knew. And so they, I was like, what's this song about? And they were like, oh, it's about uh, love. And I was like, oh, really? Let's look at some of the words of that song. Sometimes we think that when we go to God, we've hidden from him. We, we've, we've kept our lives from Him. we got to go to God and tell Him what's going on in our life. And I'm not saying you can't pour your heart out to God, but God already knows what's going on in your life. He's dying for you to open your ears to Him. We go in prayer so often so that God will hear us. When was the last time you were desperate to hear from God? Do you know when it was, probably? When you were in deep trouble in a crisis, and you didn't know what to do, and it really mattered how this turned out. Oh, all of a sudden, guess what? That hunger's back, isn't it? It should have been there all along. It is how we should live. It's not how these religious leaders lived. Their response, the, the man's response was wide open. Their response hardened their heart. They replied, you were steeped in sin at your birth. Really ironic. They had just tried to prove this man wasn't the one born blind, because it would have helped their cause to say Jesus didn't really heal him. But now they, they use the fact that he was born blind, and by the way, he can now see, to smear his reputation. You were born in sin. How dare you lecture us? Isn't it interesting how quickly they switch opinions? Why? Because their conclusion is always what they're going to get to. It doesn't matter the facts. My mind is already made up. So don't confuse me with this troubling reality stuff. Right? I know what I believe. I know what I'm getting to. And so the religious leaders do what religion often does. They reject him. It says they threw him out. That is kind of like throwing people out of church. It is a shunning, a rejection. You are no longer allowed to come into the temple and worship God here. That's what they had in their power to do, to reject him, to mark him as someone who was an absolute uh, throwaway, a toss-aside, someone who had no value and would not be a part of their religious celebration. He doesn't agree with them. He challenges their stubborn and pride-filled hearts, so they use their power to label him and disallow him from being a part of the temple. How much place does pride have in your life? Because pride, I guarantee you, pride will stop you from hearing what God has for you. If we are genuine about what we believe about the word of God, pride has absolutely no place in your life. Do you know why? You were born a sinner. You had no hope and no ability to fix that. God decided he couldn't let that be. So God sent someone. We didn't ask for it. He sent his son to die for us, to pay for our sin, to wash us and redeem us. What of that is to your credit? Oh, well, now I choose to follow God. Great. You wouldn't even know God if it weren't for him. There is no place in the church of Jesus Christ for pride. In the body of Christ, all things belong to Him. All things are for Him. All things are by Him. None of it is for us. And so we need to humble ourselves. If you really want to know, what what should I do and where should I go? Start with humbling yourself. God, I don't know. I don't like to go to God in prayer like that. I like to go to God in prayer like this. Lord, I've seen the future and I know what I should do and just give me the strength to be the amazing person that you have made me to be. That makes me feel good, right? But remember, Jesus gave an example of prayer. The Pharisee, who kind of prayed like that, and the, and the sinner, the publican, who said this, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. I would say to you, one of the most effective prayers you will ever pray is a prayer of humility. It says, God, I have no idea what to do here. I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm desperate for you. Speak to me. Lead me. I'll do whatever you lead because you're right. You are right. I'm convinced of it. And then let God lead. Take steps of faith. Follow him in his way. All right, let's finish up the chapter here because this, this story could really be about, you know, standing up for your faith and paying the price, but that's not really what it's about. It's really about this contrast in the reaction. It's about between those who see and those who don't. So verse 35 down to the end of the chapter. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind." Some Pharisees who were there with him heard him say this and said, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. One more example, one more like, interaction here of those who receive and those who don't. Those who can see and those who don't. Now I want you to see this. When Jesus heard they had thrown him out, He went to find him. Do you want to be like Jesus? Notice that when the religious and powerful people throw this man out, Jesus goes looking for him. Did you hear that? Did you get that? When people found a reason to reject this man, Jesus said, let me go find him. How are we at that? Now, I'm not saying there's not cause for us and there's some healthy places in our life to say, this is the end of our relationship because this relationship isn't healthy. And God isn't calling me to be your rescuer. There can be some death in that for sure. But I am saying this. Do we have a heart for the rejects of the world? Do we have a heart to empathize and sympathize? How are we at seeking out those who have landed on the reject pile? How are we at seeing them? God went after them. Do we? Jesus' reaction to this man should challenge us. But Jesus didn't just come and put his arm around him like, it's okay, it'll be all right. Jesus didn't do that. What Jesus did is he came and he offered him a choice, a life-changing choice. It's the same choice he offers to every single person. He comes to him and he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now that sounds to you a little bit weird because Jesus is like, do you believe in me? He's not like that. He's not like, I am the Savior, come and believe. He doesn't say that. What he says is, do you believe in the Son of Man? But he says it in a very specific way. The grammar here in the Greek is pretty specific. Usually when when the Greek does a you verb, like will you this or will you that, the you is included in the verb. It's all included. It's not two separate words. It's just the tense of the verb gives you the implied you. Here, Jesus uses and begins with the pronoun you. It's kind of like he says this, you, do you believe? It's a very emphatic like you. What's your choice? Do you believe? What will you do about this? Not what does everybody else do about this? We get all wrapped up in what's everybody else doing? Jesus says, here's the kingdom of God. What will you do with this? What will you do with this? I think as believers and as a church, we would be in such a better position, we would be so much better positioned for the cause of Christ if we just made sure that we were responding to Him. Not everybody else, me. What am I doing? Where am I? And he uses this term, son of man. Now, Son of Man has been, in in the text over and over again, corrected to Son of God, because Son of Man is a hard thing. But Son of Man is a title from the Old Testament, from Daniel chapter 7. It is a proper title for the Messiah, and in Daniel 7, clearly the Son of God. Essentially, what Jesus is saying to him is, do you believe that I'm the one that the Old Testament prophets uh, prophesied about, coming as the Messiah? Do you believe that I am the Son of God? Will you put your faith, your hope in me? That's the question he asks everybody, right? That's the question Jesus puts in front of you. Will you believe in me? Will you believe in who I tell you that I am? That I am your hope, that I am the way and the truth and the life. Will you believe or will you reject it? There isn't any fence sitting in this story, and there really isn't any fence sitting in life. Well, I don't know. I don't know where I stand. You got to pick. You got to choose a side. What will you choose? Well, the man is ready. He says, listen, tell me who he is so I can believe in him. And Jesus says, it's me. When Jesus touches your life, you naturally trust him. Notice what the man did. He said, Lord, tell me who he is and I'll believe in him. Tell me who he is and I'll believe in him. I don't know who he is. You do. So when you tell me who it is, then I'll believe in him. There's a trust there. He doesn't say, well, tell me who he is and I'll tell you what I think of him. Tell me who is, and I'll think about it for a while. He says, Whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. When Jesus heals you, you trust him. Has Jesus healed you? Has he forgiven your sin? Has he given you eternal life? Has he taken the broken pieces of your life that you've put in his hand and put it back together? Has he healed you? Are you trusting him? Maybe you forgot that he healed you. Maybe there's some healing that needs to get done in your soul still. When you trust him, you put your life in his hands to examine. You desperately want Jesus to tell you what's got to go, what's sinful, what's wrong, what's empty, what's useless. Tell me, Lord, so I can get rid of it, so I can stop wasting my time on it. And you desperately want him to tell you, how should I spend my time? Where should I direct my money? Show me what to do so that I can serve you when Jesus has healed you. When Jesus has healed you. And so conversion blossoms into submission. Lord, tell me what to do. But it also blossoms into worship. And he worshipped him. Worship, to see Jesus, is to see him as the object of my worship. To really see him. To open your eyes to who he is. Have you seen who Jesus is? If you did, it would do this in you. It would make you go, Lord, what do you want from me? And it would make you go, wow, Lord, you are amazing. How can I give you praise? If that's not the response, if that's not the fruit, maybe you need to open your eyes and see Jesus. Because he is the hope for your life. He is the hope for me. I have to see Him as the point of my life, to see serving Him as all that I need to do, to adore Him, to revel in His beauty, His goodness, His perfection. Worship, as we take that position of worship, as we give Him praise, it reminds me that I submit to Him. God does not submit to me. When I go to God in prayer, I go to ask God what He wants to do. I don't go to ask God what I want. Right? Isn't that even what James 4 says? You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because you ask based on your own desires so that you can have what you want. But there's another response at the end. And Jesus kicks it off by saying, I've come in this world for judgment so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And the Pharisees go, what are you saying, we're blind? What Jesus is saying to them is this. Because we are so confident that we see, we believe we have no need for God to show us anything new. And we miss his leading without ever noticing it because we are confident. They claim to see, and because of that, there is no hope for them. Because what they see leads them to reject Jesus Christ. What I would say to you is this. Be on guard in your life this week, this day, at the things that tell you that your trusting of God is putting you in a bad position, is something to doubt, is something to to worry about. As believers, we should walk confidently, not in ourselves, but in our Father. Where's your level of confidence? Open your eyes to see Him. The Pharisee's question is kind of like, what, are we blind to?" And it's worded to expect a, no, of course you're not blind. Because there's no way that these educated religious men are blind, except they are. They would have never said they were blind, but somebody said to them, Jesus Christ said to them, you're missing it. You're missing it. The spiritual fruit in your life is probably the best indication of whether or not you're missing it. Basically, Jesus says to them, if they would recognize their blindness, then they could have a remedy. But because they won't acknowledge it, because they claim to see, they are hopelessly lost so I don't know where this applies to you today. I just, I know that that's the story that we have here and that's kind of how it impacts our, our, our lives today. But where is it for you? And I want to invite you to let this process in your, in your soul today. Are you stuck somewhere in life? Is there a feeling in your soul of, I'm not okay? God is calling you to a choice. Will you open and hear? Or will you close off and stay put? When God speaks to your soul, are you do you draw boundaries? No, God, you can't have that. No, I won't do that. No, this won't have. I'm never going to this. Or do you say, God, here's my life. You look at it and tell me what needs to happen. That's the opportunity we have today. If you're stuck feeling like you don't know which way to go, the question is, will you open your eyes and see? It's not hard to see, it's just hard to follow. You can look all around you and see the power and love of God, see His goodness, see His generosity. Even His existence, the Bible tells us, is evident by what we see. Will you see? Or will you stay blind? Part of the reason we struggle with what to do in any given situation is that we have an agenda that we want to happen. We, we have a target that we're driving towards. And I would invite you, if, if you're feeling really stuck, look at that. Do you have a, a, an outcome that has to happen in order for things to be okay? And if so, I would invite you to just surrender it and say, God, I don't know where this should go. I just know I want it in your hands. Will you leave it? Will you take it? Will you leave it in his hands and let him take it from you? So will you let go? today so let's just close in a word of prayer this morning and uh, I'm just going to give you a couple seconds here have a conversation with God before we close in prayer and whatever it is that God is stirring up in your soul just take this opportunity to have that conversation don't walk out of here and let this slip out of your mind let this like, be the moment that it really takes a hold of, of what you're going to do and what's going to be different and how you're going to trust him and give him your life Father, I thank you for your seeking heart for each one of us, that you have a desire to show us the way. Father, I know there are many situations even coming up this week where it will need to be you giving wisdom and instruction and direction. So, Father, I pray for that. I pray for that in each home, in each marriage, in each parenting situation, each job situation, each social interaction. Father, that you would lead your people, for some of us, we've been so numb and so deaf to it for so long. It's got to, you're going to have to turn the volume up for us to even notice it. But I pray that you would help us to notice it and to listen. That you would help us open our eyes to you. That we would not harden our hearts. We would not turn away in arrogance and self-will, convinced that our desires will bring us what we want. Instead, Father, let us surrender to you. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone in this place this morning that hasn't taken that first step in that relationship with you that just says, God, I I need to put my soul in your hands. My soul is a mess. I'm sinful. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm wicked. And I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me and wash me clean. I pray that even in this moment they could do that just in their heart before you, and receive you, begin that personal relationship with you, that today would be a day of new birth in their soul. And so Father, I pray that as we go from this place, you would speak to us, continue speaking to us, that our lives would reflect faith as we make our choices, as we live our lives, as we emotionally interact with the things that happen around us, that it would reflect a soul that is at rest because we trust you. And so Father, I pray you would do that in us as we go from this place this day. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.